Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Mike Pearson. Well, hello, folks, and thanks for tuning in to AOA today. A lot has happened in the world of agriculture, and a lot will continue to happen as this week marches on. We here at AOA are hoping to bring you interviews that will help shed light on things that are shaping our industry. Today, we're going to talk through a couple of the big issues that are moving things for agriculture. Chris Robinson of Robinson Ag Marketing will join me in just a moment with a look at how these markets took shape over the weekend. And then in segment two, John Baranek of DTN Weather will be on the show. John was pretty active. Accurate calling for this breakdown in temperatures that has hit most of the country over the weekend. We'll get his thoughts on how the rest of the fall might look as we transition into winter. And then in segment three, we're to turn our focus to ag lending. The Ag Bankers uh, Convention recently happened in Omaha, Nebraska. Ag lenders are looking ahead at a period where farmers are making a lot of money, but also we've got rising input costs and interest rates are climbing. Kurt Covington of Ag America Lending will join us in segment three, and we'll talk about how lenders are putting these factors together as we head into that 2023 loan renewal season. But without further ado, let's jump into a discussion here about the markets. Chris Robinson, Robinson Ag Marketing. Chris, I know you've been watching the soy products this weekend. We've got that Noper Crush report coming out tomorrow. What's your expectations here on domestic demand for soybeans over the last month? It's uh, that crush continues to be a, a good uh, demand thing, and you can see it uh, every time that the beans do dip down. You're starting to see people step in there and, and kind of buy it, and I think that's a positive thing moving forward. I think that uh, the the number one driver is going to be, and we've continued to see pretty good interest in China uh, as far as our beans are concerned. That's been helpful. They have not had really any, any interest in our corn, uh, but certainly. Um, one thing that USDA has you know, showed us is that the stocks are relatively tight for what's out there right now, um, and the market, I think, is looking ahead till next year. Next year, forecasts actually are for some, some record crops if everything goes well. We've got Brazil is, gonna, is planning on having a record crop. Um, so that, I think, is going to be the, the, the mass problem guys are going to be looking at. We've got near-term tightness, and, but then you know, people are already looking ahead to 2023. Indeed, they are, Chris. I'm curious, how are you watching these soy product markets develop? This soy oil has been on a tear recently, almost rivals this summer's move. Where do you think it moves from here? Well, it's interesting. Every time that, that soybean contract, you can look, every time it's got up to about 440, it's failed. Uh, right now, and we're, we're in this kind of this uh, trading range, uh, 440s resistance and supports down at the, the 400 level. So, until we break out of that range, I think that we're going to be kind uh, of kind of stuck, quite honestly. Um, also, too, we've seen really good demand now coming out of edible oils uh, in, another, in the other part of the world, too. China has been a big buyer of palm oil. Uh, there's some thoughts out there amongst the trade that China's kind of you know, waking up from its uh, self-induced lockdowns. That's going to be positive for demand. There's been some rumors going around that China's actively looking for for uh, you know more uh, uh, vegetable oil, all, all inputs like that for China, and th- that I think if that holds true, if China continues to be there with a bid. That is going to be a good underpinning for uh, bean oil. So I'd watch bean oil, and if you switch over and look at meal, bean meal spread, you know, the crush. I think that's going to be a, a really important um, level to watch with soybean meal as well. The best soybean markets, the best soybean. Uh, Big bull rallies, they've always been led by meal. So, um, you know, it's, it's, it's nice to watch the bean oil now bump up against those levels. Um, I'd really be watching meal. And, again, what's the word of the day? I guess it's consolidation. You know, we're, we're finishing up with harvest. Now it's going to be all about um, what is demand actually going to be. And also, unfortunately, we're, we're all going to become, um, you know, watching South American weather every 24 hours. 
Absolutely. Going to have to see what is going to come out of those fields down there in Brazil and Argentina. Chris, while we've got you on the line today, I'm curious about what's developing in the wheat market. Chicago contracts flat up slightly, but hard red and spring up substantially today. What's going on there in the wheat complex? Well, there's some concern that on the 19th, um, this Saturday, the Ukrainian deal is going to be, uh, it's going to have to be renegotiated. So I guess you put renegotiated in quotations because it's really going to come down to what does Mr. Putin want to do as far as moving um, product, you know, out of the Black Sea. So that's a big what if. One interesting thing, this is the first Sunday night in a long time where we didn't have a 40 or 50 cent move based on what someone said on that part of the world. Um, we continues to kind of hang in there. Um, Chicago, um, the thing I would watch if I'm a, if I'm a producer is, is watch these key levels because we do know one thing. We know that the managed money, the, the speculators, they are short Chicago wheat, but they are long KC. Um, the, the, the key level, I think, for March wheat, Chicago wheat to hold is that $8 level. It's a big psychological level. Um, we've been dancing around here this 840 level for a while. And that may be kind of the, the make or break it level here for the rest of the week. I think if, as long as nothing really um, negative comes out of that meeting uh, regarding Ukraine, that may be our floor here for a while. So if I'm a producer, if I'm storing wheat, uh, you know, make sure that you're, you're at least have a plan so that if Chicago wheat does drop below eight bucks, you know, you've got a, a, a plan for what you want to do with your wheat. That's right. Buy when you can, not when you have to. Chris, taking a look over at the corn market here, a little bit of weakness to start the week. What factors are you watching? What do you think the market is going to be paying attention to this week on the corn front? Well, we've kind of recovered and gotten through the, the, the last Wadi report. Um, I know it's nice to see these corn holding at 650. I honestly think that this time of the year we're looking more ahead to these 23. The key level out there for, for producers you know, is that $6 level. You know, is $6 going to hold? Um, it's in relatively good condition. I think that that's the spread I would continue to watch here. The Dece March and the March May, those are spreads I would continue to watch as far as uh, demand holding up. Now, there is the possibility that we get a little bit more down pressure in the next few weeks. We've got, we're, we're testing two and a half, three month lows here right now in, in uh, Dece corn. You have Dece options expiration in about 12 days. So we all know how the markets can whipsaw around that. I think the key level there to watch as well in these corn is 650. Um, and again, as the, these options expire, if you're uh, any of your listeners out there, if you have hedges on place, make sure that you replace them. Um, I don't know, you know, if you're replacing calls or puts, uh, that that's probably going to be the number one driver here uh, for the next uh, 12 days as we move through these options expiration. That makes sense. Chris, out in the countryside, how's basis holding up on the corn front? Basis has been good. I mean, it, that's one, been one positive, uh, you know, even after the little bit of a pullback we've had. And you got to remember, not that long ago, you know, we were about 30, 40 cents higher in spot corn. East corn was at seven bucks. A lot of people thought we might go through that. So to be sitting here at, you know, 660, 40 under, the basis has held up um, reasonably well. Um, there are also, you know, the, the issues continuing with uh, getting stuff moved, but overall, basis has held up well. All right, folks, we've been talking with Chris Robinson of Robinson Ag Marketing. Made a note there at the end, those supply chain troubles aren't done yet. We'll continue to track that here on the show. Chris, thanks for joining us today. Thank you, sir. Have a good week. And folks, stay tuned. John Baranek of DTN Weather will be joining us here in just a moment. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils. Oils that run smart. With harvest wrapping up, channel technical agronomist Don Gustafson joins me to provide an outlook on harvest and an analysis of channel's product performance this year. Don, what does channel have on offer that you're excited about? I am definitely excited about what we have throughout our whole entire portfolio. We've got, you know, the double pearls, which is above, above ground protection. And we've got uh, smart stacks and the new smart stacks pro hybrids for the, the pesky uh, corn rootworms pressures that we're facing. So very excited. We've got everything that, that uh, from, from the early hybrids to late, late hybrids that can cover droughty conditions and also, you know, the, the nice rainfall. 
conditions as well. Overall, very nice portfolio. That was Channel Technical Agronomist Don Gustafson. To see how Channel products are performing in your area and sign up to receive local harvest results via text or email, visit channel.com yield. This is the place most people think of when they hear that a seed has been engineered for superior performance and designed with proven genetic traits. Because something like that could only come from a lab, right? But this is where Allegiant Seed by CHS comes from. It's made by farmers for farmers. Its advanced genetics and unbeatable value are proven here in their fields to make sure they do the job in yours. Talk to your CHS retailer about Allegiant Seed today or learn more at AllegiantSeed.com. At Bravant, our corn and soybean varieties are vetted nearly 3 million times against the competition. How many? 3 million frickin' times. Hey man, I'm standing right next to you. Ah, sorry, got a little excited. Don't take us at our word, take us at our proof. Visit Bravant.com to see for yourself. Bravant Seeds, it's about time. Bravant multi-year on-farm pre-commercial head-to-head comparisons, third-party and research trials, based on more than 2.8 million comparisons. Through the years, you've really kept up with the times. You're on social media. Like, like, dislike, block. Maintained your health. 10,000 steps. I'm a beast. You even programmed your own smart home. In 10 minutes, remind me that I'm a genius. In 10 minutes, I'll remind you that you're a genius. If you can do all that, you can definitely save for retirement. Just go to aceyourretirement.org, a free online tool sponsored by AARP that can help you get on track with your retirement savings no matter your age. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll meet Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach, and in just three minutes, get personalized recommendations to help boost your retirement savings. They're easy to understand and work with your lifestyle. It's quick, easy, and free. Plus, it's brought to you by AARP, so you know they got your back. You are a genius. Take charge of your retirement. Go to aceyourretirement.org now. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils. Oils that run smart. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Well, folks, welcome back to AOA Today. We appreciate you making us a part of your day. No doubt if you are out there working with livestock here in the eastern two-thirds of the country, you are dealing with weather that is a little colder than it has been over the past couple weeks. John Baranek, meteorologist over at DTN Weather last week, highlighted the impact of this cold front. He joins us again today. John, tell us just how widespread was this cold front that moved across here late last week throughout the weekend? Yeah, I mean... The Arctic air basically cleared the entire country. Um, even the west western areas uh, got well below normal air moving through. That's actually really hard to do. Usually the, the Rockies like to break things up, but uh, just everywhere got cold, uh, especially from where we've been uh, earlier in November and uh, late October where we were sitting, you know, some, some areas were up in the 80s. Now they're dealing with temperatures in the 40s and 50s. So it's quite a big turnaround for a lot of the country. It is indeed, John, and some of those cold temps came with snowfall, particularly there in the northern Great Plains reaches. Who ended up getting the, the batch of snow from this most recent uh, snowmaker up there? Yeah, outside of the mountain areas, which we won't count, um, in uh, Montana, there were a lot of 6 to 10 inch reports, but in North Dakota, there were a lot of 12 to 24 inch reports. So right around the Bismarck area was kind of the winter. There were a lot more clustered around the 20 to 24 inch mark up there. And it also came with some pretty strong winds, 35, 45 mile an hour winds, uh, definitely producing blizzard conditions. So it, it came as advertised for North Dakota, that's for sure. It didn't, gee, John. And now I understand that system is not quite out of the area quite yet. Minnesota, Northern Iowa getting some snow today. Talk about where it goes from here. Yeah, we've got kind of a really complicated upper air trough across the middle of the country. There's all sorts of little pieces kind of uh moving around and spinning around each other uh right now yep we do have kind of one little piece of it in the upper midwest um iowa into minnesota is getting the worst of it right now as we're speaking uh there's another second one that's uh, forming over texas and that's producing some snow kind of from the texas panhandle through western kansas at the moment uh, a lot of this is going to move uh pretty much straight eastward so uh, we'll see uh, some of these snow showers getting into uh, eastern kansas missouri 
Even parts of Oklahoma are going to get some snow, uh, central Oklahoma later today. Um, that system kind of moves across the Gulf Coast with scattered rain showers, at least for them, uh, farther through the southeast. Uh, but we'll, we'll see some snow kind of moving through the Midwest uh, over the course of the next day or so. Um, not a whole lot of accumulation. You know, it's a few inches here or there. Uh, there may be some little small pockets that, uh, you know, get a little bit more, kind of like four to six, but they would be very small in little small areas uh, rather than anything widespread. But for the most part, it's a lot of light snow. But it's not going to really quit for the week. Uh, you know, we've got several bursts of colder Canadian air moving through over the course of the week. The uh, the biggest one here comes um, pretty much Thursday and Friday across the northern plains into the upper Midwest. Uh, but that one will be clearing the country as well, and we'll get well below normal um, all the way down to the Gulf Coast. So some areas 20, 30 degrees below normal. Um, oh wow! All the way, all the way down to the southeast. Yep, it's going to be it's going to be quite a cold week, that's for sure. John, anytime I hear colder than normal temperatures and precipitation across the southern plains, through the southern Corn Belt, Missouri, Kentucky, you know, Arkansas, down and through there, I always wonder about ice. Do you see any potential for an ice storm or or ice accumulation being a threat this week? Yeah, fortunately, no, not not a whole lot of of ice potential. I mean, there's going to be some snow, but it's going to be hard to produce ice. Uh, the best way to get ice actually is to have warm air riding up over the cold air. And so it starts as rain and then falls as either freezing rain or sleet. Um, but uh, we don't really see that coming. It's more just cold on top of cold. So um, it's either going to be rain or snow for the most part. Well, there's a silver lining, I suppose. Always good to find one of those, not an ice storm. John, you mentioned this system that's developing up later this week, the Thursday, Friday development. Where do you see that going and, and what sort of weekend impact is that going to have six days from now? Yeah, I mean, other than the cold air, not a whole lot. Uh, it's coming, I mean, successive pushes out of Canada is really just squeezing all the moisture out of any of this air. So there's not a whole lot to play with. Um, and we're not really getting any return flow out of the Gulf of Mexico to feed any of these. So uh, it's it's not a whole lot of, of precipitation um, outside of the Great Lakes. Now, of course, you know, the Great Lakes are still wide open. And anytime you get cold air flowing over them, uh, we see some pretty hefty snowfall amounts coming out of that. But uh, outside of those Great Lakes, um, lake effect snow areas, we're not seeing a whole lot of precipitation, uh, luckily. Uh, it would just be, unfortunately, for a lot of areas, just the cold. All right. Well, cold is here. It is winter. I suppose this shouldn't be a shock to too many of us. John, I just pulled up the drought monitor, taking a look at last week's data, and it still looks like a vast majority of the country is either abnormally dry or in some categorization of drought here. Have we seen any change to this with the recent moisture events that have happened, particularly here in the central U.S.? We have. Um, and actually, the if you look at kind of around Missouri, the, the state uh, kind of areas around Missouri, they've been kind of getting hit a little bit more frequently with a lot of these uh, precipitation events that have come through since, oh, say mid-October. So we've got, we've got had some, you know, decent reduction in, in some of these areas. Um, and what didn't get counted on the drought monitor last week was the influence from uh, Hurricane Nicole. It hit Florida. Um, I can't remember if it was, uh, I think yeah, it was Thursday, early Thursday morning. And then it kind of rode up the Appalachians and um, uh, brought some pretty decent moderate to heavy rain. Uh, not just along the spine of those mountains, but but also to the west. So um, we had some pretty decent rainfall in, into uh, Ohio, Kentucky, Tennessee. We've had some pretty deep growing drought there over the last several weeks. Um, so that helped to alleviate that. It's also giving a, a good boost to uh, the river systems. And um, it'll take a little bit of time to get all the way down uh, into the lower Mississippi. But uh, we're expecting a pretty good bump uh it might be temporary, but a pretty good bump in the river levels there on the lower Mississippi. Well, that is a piece of good news for all those folks looking to get this year's harvest down the river to the Gulf of Mexico. A little bit of water level might help keep those barges moving longer than they have been. John, while we're talking here on the line, you mentioned that Hurricane Nicole and the impacts that she created as she moved up the coastline. With the movement of her out of the tropics, are we going to see things slow down there in the Gulf? Yeah, uh, especially with all these cold pushes moving through, um, they're going they're going deep into the Gulf. And um, what's you know typically we we have to watch those for some tropical developments on them. Um, but uh, one thing that they're also coming with with this uh, big upper level trough is a, is a lot of shear, and shear just basically means a change in wind direction with height, and that's really bad for um, 
tropical storm development. So while we will have some uh, cold fronts moving into the Gulf that might have been a concern, um, you know, a, a month ago or so, I, I don't know if that's really going to be a huge concern here uh, going through the next week or so. And then, you know, we've, we've only got about two weeks left in the in tropical season. So it's going to be really, really difficult to do that from now on. All right. So we'll see that sort of wind down there in the, the southeast part of the country. John, let's go even farther south, down to South America. Brazil, we've been tracking massive potential soybean crop coming out of that country. A lot depends on weather from here on out. How are things going for those farmers in Brazil? You know, not too bad overall. There are some dry pockets uh, around in central Brazil that, you know, their, their wet season started, but it's not great. Uh, dryness is kind of a relative term, though. You know, when you get, you know, five to six inches of rain in a month, you know, if you only get two or three, uh, it's not that great, but you know, with two or three inches, you can, you can get a good, good handle on or a good start on your crop. So uh, overall, it's not too bad there in central Brazil. Um, Southern Brazil also had some really good rain over the, the, the springtime. It's gotten drier recently uh, outside of you know, some rain that went through over the weekend. It's now clearing here today. Uh, they've been in a pretty dry pattern here for the last couple weeks. This week is going to be dry as well. Um, but, you know, overall soil moisture is still pretty decent down there. So everything's going pretty well in Brazil. Argentina is a, a different story. Uh, they've been dealing with drought all spring. Um, the uh, corn crop is only a quarter planted. Uh, usually at this time, they're halfway done. They do it kind of in two phases. Uh, their first phase is over and they've only did about half of what they normally do. Uh, so I think there a lot of folks are either switching to soybeans or they're waiting for this uh, second phase, which kind of starts up uh, about early December or so. And um, they, they had some decent rain over the, the weekend last week. Um, but, you know, they're, they're going through another dry patch here this week and um, only some isolated showers here late this week and weekend. So they're still way behind in uh, precipitation, even if they had some a little bit of drought easement here um, recently. And no doubt that ongoing La Nina continues to impact weather down there. John, any changes to La Nina or the forecast thereof? Not at all. Everything's been fairly consistent. We've been in almost a steady uh, state of La Nina here all the way since, um, I think, last winter even. So uh, that, that hasn't changed. Uh, all the models are also kind of pointing towards us just staying in this La Nina condition here all the way through winter, but finally getting out of it in the springtime with a head towards potential El Nino conditions for next summer. So we'll have to keep an eye on that. Will be certainly nice to talk about a different type of forecast yeah. for a change after these past three years with La Nina folks. We've been chatting with John Baranek of DTN Weather. John, thanks for joining us today. And always good to be on the program with you, Mike. Thanks for having me. You bet. And folks, stick around. Kurt Covington of Ag America Lending will join us with an outlook for America's lending class heading into renewable season. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils. Oils that run smart. Tune in the first Wednesday of every month to listen to the monthly grind here on AOA. It's brought to you by our friends at the National Corn Growers Association, and each month we're going to dig into one specific aspect of corn demand. What happens to this grain after it leaves your operations and enters the global supply chain? That's what we're going to talk about each month on the monthly grind. Again, that's the first Wednesday of every month, and you can also find us wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. It's a show you don't want to miss. At Bravant, our corn and soybean varieties are vetted nearly three million times against the competition. How many? Three million frickin' times. Hey man, I'm standing right next to you. Ah, sorry, got a little excited. Don't take us at our word, take us at our proof. Visit Bravant.com to see for yourself. Bravant Seeds, it's about time. Bravant multi-year on-farm pre-commercial head-to-head comparisons, third-party and research trials, based on more than 2.8 million comparisons. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. Well, world wheat importers appear to be ramping up coverage following the weakness that we have seen lately as we see some sales of uh, hard wheats to Saudi Arabia, and that has given us some decent strength here in Minneapolis spring wheat and Kansas City hard red winter wheat. While Chicago wheat is relatively mixed, we see that Saudi Arabia bought over 1 million metric tons of high-protein optional origin milling wheat for April through June, and that is having a role in early strength. Also, other importers stepping up to buy wheat, which has recently been beaten down. Japan, 
buying Canadian and U.S. wheat, Tunisia buying optional soft wheat as well. Now, U.S. wheat is still overpriced relative to both Ukraine and Russian wheat. Russia, the world's number one wheat exporter, is offering wheat at a $30 to $40 per metric ton discount to EU wheat and as much as $100 per metric ton below U.S. wheat offers. Now, Russia is seeking to have some sanctions lifted for a state bank in an effort to boost their wheat and fertilizer sales as a prerequisite for extending the Ukraine export corridor deal. We have not seen much movement on that deal yet, but we are watching it rather closely. Now, commodities also facing headwinds from a dollar rebound. No losses are moderating here in the early trade. We see that uh, corn is down a little bit. Beans are down a little bit as well with meal and oil relatively mixed. Meantime, the livestock trade, hogs and cattle futures for the most part are taking advantage early on the day Monday with some moderate strength across all three complexes trying to trade their way into the green to start the week as traders are going to be looking for uh, some decent momentum here, cautious optimism seen in livestock. It's going to be vital that the cash markets as well as box beef prices and pork cutout values trade strong. So traders see fundamental support that they are longing for in this market. Overall, a decent start to the week. This is AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen. 180 over 111 and I had a stroke. When I woke up, I couldn't speak or walk. 145 over 92, and then I had a heart attack. 182 over 100, and I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest, and then a stroke. Everything changed. It felt like my life was over. This is what high blood pressure sounds like. You might not feel its symptoms, but the results from a heart attack or stroke are far from invisible or silent. 150 over 90, and I had a stroke. If I would have followed a treatment plan, I would not be in this situation. 180 over 110 and I had a stroke and I'm 33 so I never see this coming. If you've come off your treatment plan, get back on it or talk with your doctor to create an exercise, diet, and medication plan that works for you. Go to loweryourhbp.org. I had to tell everything's changed. I had to tell. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils. Oils that run smart. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Well, hello, folks, and thanks for tuning in to AOA today. You know, as farmers across this country wrap up harvest, there's a lot to be thankful for when we take a look at the prices at the market is affording us right now six plus dollar corn 14 plus dollar soybeans wheat prices well changing every single day but still elevated historically speaking but as we prepare to go in and perhaps meet with our lenders secure our financing for 2023 there's a lot of concerns out there interest rates are rising diesel fuels pushing five dollars 40 cents a gallon there's some concerns out there and i was wondering how is the ag financing community preparing for this next year. Well, joining us for that discussion is Kurt Covington. He's the Director of Partner Relations at Ag America Lending. He's past chair of the American Banking Association Ag Committee. He joins us now with an update on the space. Kurt, thanks for taking the time to talk with us. Morning, sir, how are you? I am not bad at all. Kurt, I'm wondering, you talk to ag lenders across the country all week long. What are you hearing right now? What are some of the concerns coming up from the, the boots on the ground of the ag finance world? Well, uh, taking a look at uh, 2022, there was 654 of the happiest ag bankers I'd ever been around in, in quite a while. But obviously, I think most of them are looking at the renewal season right now. And, and uh, some of the concerns, obviously, are higher interest rates and obviously much higher input costs in some parts of the country as much as 40% higher than they were just at this time last year when we started talking about this problem. And so... Today, I think ag lenders uh, are having discussions with their borrowers, and one of the first things that there's, they may not say it this way, but ultimately it's making sure that uh, borrowers are separating their needs from their wants because there's a, there's a, you know, a lot of opportunity to get to, to uh, buy new equipment, uh, a lot of opportunities to expand, and I just think bankers are saying, hold on a minute, now's the time to build liquidity in your balance sheet. That is the key. Kurt, you mentioned 654 of the happiest ag bankers there at the ABA uh, Ag Lending Conference. I, 
looking at balance sheets right now, what what is it that has these ag lenders so happy? I mean, is the farm borrower industry or class as a whole right now just sitting so well financially? Yes. Um, if you take a look at ag banks across the United States, it's classified by the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation. Uh, uh, probably out of all the sectors of banking, agricultural banking is doing the best. Most of their borrowers are in very good shape from a debt uh, level position and liquidity, at least at the moment, uh, remains fairly stable and strong. But I think that's going to 2023, as we talked about. Uh, so ultimately, the decision comes uh, in those discussions as the renewal season is here is uh, how much money are you going to need to cover the additional expenses and how are you going to protect both the lender and yourself uh, in a market where commodity prices, uh, you may not see these prices next year. Yet, at the same time, your fertilizer, your seed, your chemical, your water, and your labor costs have all gone up and likely are not to come down anytime soon. That's true. Up on the elevator, down on the stairs is how input prices tend to move. You mentioned loan demand from the, the ag lender's perspective. Looking out to this next year, that balancing act between farmers with cash on hand, perhaps some, some savings socked aside, and higher input costs, is the industry expecting stronger loan demand in 2023? I think so. I mean, uh, the stronger loan demand uh, is really a function of increased input costs. But I think the margins on those crop loans are still going to be pretty good in 2023, despite the increase in some of, of these input costs that we've talked about. But loan demand, I think, will be up. Having said that, I think uh, bankers and um, are going to be fairly well protected on their operating loans. The issue here is, and, and I think this is something that needs to be considered, we're, we're in a, on a, a rapidly rising interest rate market. I think there are those that think that that may calm down here um, before the next um, meeting, the open market. But, you know, we're telling our borrowers, you might want to stay on the short end of the yield curve on a variable rate loan if you're looking to refinance real estate and or buy um, uh, additional farm properties. I don't think it makes sense today to be locking in long-term interest rates. I just think this is um, a period of time when maybe being on the short end, uh, you know, uh, to a farmer today. Kurt, let's break that down a little bit because there have been a lot of folks out there with advice in this rising rate environment to fix, 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 fix all that you can. What makes you take a breath and, and want folks to run the numbers a little bit? How are you assessing this uh, interest rate environment perhaps a little differently? Well, I, my personal feeling is the Federal Reserve overshot the mark here. Um, I, if you take a look at some of the core inflation numbers, I think uh, you know some of that is moderating. Now, obviously, housing and food uh, is a big concern, but a lot of that is at the consumer level. And rising interest rates, uh, uh, raising interest rates, doesn't necessarily help you fix your food costs at home. But you know, for the farmer, um, my feeling is is that uh, probably. At the next open market, I think maybe they'll be a little more dovish in terms of, of how aggressive they're going to be on raising interest rates. And I just firmly believe uh, 36 months down the road, I think you'll see a flattening of the yield curve. And I think uh, you'll find that fixed rates down the road are going to be a better bargain than they are today. All right, Kurt, I'm curious. While we're talking here on the farm, uh, on the on the radio, we have seen some big news here over this past weekend. Lots of farm ground continues to turn hand. Uh, new records being set, $30,000 an acre ground in Sioux County, Iowa. As you look out over the, the health of the farmland market, where do you see it going from here, particularly with those rates moving up? Uh, this goes back to the needs versus the wants, right? <laughs> I mean, ultimately... Uh, I think uh, we're reaching the peak of these land values. Interest rates really are the driver that determine uh, how land um, uh, land values go. A lot of people think it's commodity driven. We've proven over the last 10 years commodity prices really don't impact land values. So for me, I think as interest rates continue to rise, uh, there's going to be a lot less interest in purchasing new farm ground unless it just happens to be one of those borrowers that has a lot of liquidity on their balance sheet very low leverage on their balance sheet and wants to buy a piece of property next to their home place just because it makes it 
a nice purchase and easy for them um, to acquire. But ultimately, going out and making large purchases, I think, and these land values, I think, are going to start seeing some pressure on those and probably are going to be declining in 2023 and into 2024. Well, I mean, that certainly makes some sense. What goes up must invariably come down. Kurt, I'm curious, you mentioned these high land prices probably going to start to moderate, but at the same time, it is a challenge for young farmers, beginning farmers in particular, to get into this space. Longer term, what sort of opportunities do you think are out there for folks who are in that beginning farmer category? Are our ag lending requirements going to start to tighten up in this new era of higher rates? You know, it's a challenge, right? Greatest barrier entry to a new and young beginning small farmer is the cost of land, right? So ultimately what many of them do, uh, if they can, is find a willing landlord where they can lease the ground, uh, maybe have an option to purchase it down the road, apply a certain portion of their lease payment uh, to the down payment on that property down the road. But, you know, you've got to be able to find the right mix between the landlord, somebody who perhaps is retiring or at the point where he's ready to um, you know, sell off some of the ground. But the market, in terms of just the traditional commercial markets and availability of capital for young beginning and small farmers, is a very difficult proposition. The USDA is, um, um, has been, provides some assistance to that, but ultimately it requires, you know, family and friends and, and willing landlords for some of these young people to get in. It's just incredibly difficult. It's the largest barrier to entry of any sector in our economy, without question. And it doesn't look like there's a solution anywhere in the offing to, to make it easier to, to access, does it, Kurt? No, I mean, ultimately, there are a lot of models outside the United States, particularly in New Zealand, that uses uh, kind of a you know, what they call a milk share program in the dairy industry in New Zealand that I think would be an interesting model to follow in the United States. And it requires the cooperation, obviously, of the, the owner of the dairy, the herdsman of the dairy, the bank, and the regulators to, to work that out. But it creates a level of succession for those that want to successfully transition their dairy farm uh, to the next generation. And ultimately, that's what I think is going to have to happen here. I think you're you're probably right about that, Kurt. I'm curious, for folks who are planning ahead for that renewal meeting, maybe they've got some changes they want to make to the operation. This looks like a good time to maybe strike while that iron is hot. What tips do you have in mind for growers heading in to meet with their lenders to help separate the needs from the wants or to show that they know they're separating the needs from the wants? Come in prepared. Come in prepared. Come in with your financial statements in good order. Come in with your budget for 2023. Come in with your your capital needs, whatever those might be, and be able to justify what those are and ultimately get to the point where your lender becomes comfortable with you. Because all the, when you really think about it, the two primary forms of communication between you and your lender are your financial statements and your direct face-to-face -face communication. It doesn't happen in a coffee shop. It doesn't happen via email or text messages. It happens you know, those papers that you provide to that lender and that direct face-to-face -face discussion about what the needs are for 2023. And I would just say, as I talk about needs versus wants, sometimes there's a, a bit of confusion there. And I mean, what I really mean by that is, is that in, in today's environment, there's a lot of opportunities to go buy new equipment or expand. You just have to really do the hard work of cost-benefit analysis. It doesn't make more sense simply to, you know, repair the equipment or do it to new equipment. That's, that's, that, that's the discussion. Keep those pencils sharp and show your lender that you're keeping those pencils sharp. Folks, we've been talking with Kurt Covington, Director of Partner Programs at Ag America. Kurt, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Bye-bye. Folks, you can see more of their work at agamerica.com and stick around for more AOA after this. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils. Oils that run smart. Vision loss is not something that you feel until it happens. Most people lose their vision from diseases like macular degeneration and glaucoma, not at birth. With macular degeneration, you lose your central vision. You have a blind spot right in the center of your face, so I can't actually see your face. So even that little circle in which I could see became a big blur. I was 65 when I first was diagnosed with glaucoma. There were no symptoms. 
I had no headaches. Three million Americans have glaucoma, and half don't even know it. 11 million people in the United States have macular degeneration. You lose mobility, independence, changes your entire life. So many eye disorders can be treated if caught early. My husband tells me that I have beautiful brown eyes, and I don't want to lose that. Make a plan today to get your eyes checked. Visit brightfocus.org to learn more. Nothing offers an opportunity to bond and give thanks quite like breaking bread together. This is especially true as we welcome our troops back home and keep those who are still stationed overseas in our hearts. Hi, I'm Gary Sinise. Since 2011, the Gary Sinise Foundation's Serving Heroes program has shown gratitude to our nation's defenders and their families by serving up nearly 500,000 hearty classic American meals at travel hubs and military locations. And now, together with our friends at Bob Evans Farms and their Our Farm Salutes program, we will help to provide even more meals nationwide, offering our defenders a taste of home and a feeling of togetherness around the table. Help us show America's gratitude through food and fellowship. Look for the Bob Evans Our Farm Salutes purple packaging at your grocery store and visit ourfarmsalutes.com to learn more. While we can never do enough to support the men and women who serve, together we can make a difference bite by bite. This is the place most people think of when they hear that a seat has been engineered for superior performance and designed with proven genetic traits because something like that could only come from a lab, right? But this is where Allegiant Seed by CHS comes from. It's made by farmers for farmers. Its advanced genetics and unbeatable value are proven here in their fields to make sure they do the job in yours. Talk to your CHS retailer about Allegiant Seed today or learn more at AllegiantSeed.com. Tune in the first Wednesday of every month to listen to The Monthly Grind here on AOA. It's brought to you by our friends at the National Corn Growers Association, and each month we're going to dig into one specific aspect of corn demand. What happens to this grain after it leaves your operations and enters the global supply chain? That's what we're going to talk about each month on The Monthly Grind. Again, that's the first Wednesday of every month, and you can also find us wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. It's a show you don't want to miss. At Bravant's, our corn and soybean varieties are vetted nearly three million times against the competition. How many? Three million frickin' times. Hey man, I'm standing right next to you. Ah, sorry, got a little excited. Don't take us at our word, take us at our proof. Visit Bravant.com to see for yourself. Bravant Seeds, it's about time. Bravant multi-year on-farm pre-commercial head-to-head comparisons, third-party and research trials, based on more than 2.8 million comparisons. As a farmer, growing your business is more than just a nine to five. It's your life's work. That's why the Roundup Ready Extend crop system goes all in to help you stay on top. Backed by decades of innovation, offering the latest trait technology and triple herbicide tolerance, plus more weed species controlled than any other soybean system. Because you mean business, and so do we. Learn more at systemofchoice.com. Claim based on approved EPA herbicide labels as of January 2021. Read and follow pesticide label directions, grain marketing, and other stewardship practices. I think farming picked me. <laughs> I didn't pick farming. I'm not afraid to try something new. It's my farm, my family, and our future. My channel Seedsman gets that. I get access to innovative products with personalized advice backed by data to maximize my yield potential. With channel, I know I'll prosper for years to come. Define your future at channel.com slash future. Read and follow pesticide label directions, IRM, grain marketing, and other stewardship practices. Copyright 2022 Bayer Group. All rights reserved. Young farmers don't listen to the radio, right? Wrong. In a recent survey, 74% of young producers said they get their most important agricultural information from their trusted farm radio station. Surprised? Don't be. If you think about it, it makes perfect sense. Radio is the perfect companion because it goes with you everywhere. Whether you're in the shop, on the combine, or in the truck, farm radio is right there with you. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. 
Welcome back to AOA, ladies and gentlemen. Tail end of last week saw a report from the Association of Equipment Manufacturers. You know, we just talked with Kurt Covington about separating the needs from the watts and operations across the country. The need for a new combine was stronger than the want, I think. A lot of these were, were needed. We did see some big sales show up. Combine sales, in fact, showed double-digit gains in the month of October. However, tractor sales did continue to fall. That was a trend that continued from the month prior. Farm tractor sales for October 2022 were down 10.8% from the year ago. That's 2021. Moved 26,695 units in October 2022 compared with 29,920 in October 2021. Year-to-date, Association of Equipment Manufacturers reports that 237,169 total farm tractors have been sold this year, and that's down from 275 this time last year. So we're off just about 40,000 tractors in total sales. They do break that down by horsepower, and they found that the two-wheel drive sub-40 horsepower tractors, those were off 23.6% from a year ago. We saw the um, two-wheel drive 40 to 100 horsepower tractors. Sales for those were up 3.2%, moved about 7,500 units in the month of October. And two-wheel drive 100 horsepower plus tractors have continued to move. Those sales were up 25.2% compared to a year earlier. That's 4,289 machines compared to 3,400 last year. Year-to-date, AEM reports that 22,419 categories have been sold in that high-powered two-wheel drive category, and that's up from 19,675 this time last year. And finally, the big dogs, four-wheel drive tractors. Sales were up 9.4% for the month of October. That's 649 for the month this year compared to 593. Year-to-date, AEM reports 2,784 tractors have been sold in this category. Now, that is down year-over-year from the 2,983 at this point last year. As I mentioned, that double-digit growth for combine sales, it's not just double-digit, it's up 77.4%, 1,678 sales this year compared with 946 last year. Year-to-date on the combine front, AEM reports 6,200 machines have been sold, up from just a little over 5,300 at this same time last year. Together, American ag manufacturers have managed to move just about 1,400 more combines here in 2022 than they did up to this point in 2023. Taking a look out at some of the other factors impacting the ag industry, this time of year, it is time for quarterly profits from publicly traded companies listed here in the United States. We've been getting a lot of ag updates. One that jumped out at me was JBSSA. Of course, this is the South American parent company for JBS uh, US. They reported a 47.1% drop in their net profit in the third quarter, which ended on Thursday of last week. Now, the company's net revenue rose 6.8% to a record Brazilian real $98.9 billion. That's $18.5 billion because they did say that they had higher sales at their Brazilian poultry, pork, and processing foods units. However, they do say that, quote, our Brazil and U.S. poultry business outperformed expectations with strong exports to Asia and the Middle East. So we are seeing some headaches start there for Brazil with those earnings down for the quarter. And uh, there might be some more trouble coming. JBS is one of the companies for whom this PSSI work, Packers Sanitation Services, Inc. They are a subcontractor that works cleaning and sanitizing packing facilities. And late last week, it was announced that the U.S. Department of Labor is issuing a nationwide restraining order to stop this company from performing their duties because it is alleged that they have been hiring minors. Um, it's alleged that PSSI has employed at least 31 children between the ages of 13 and 17 in hazardous occupations. They note that PSSI has been contracted at JBS plants in Grand Island and in Worthington, Minnesota, and at a Turkey Valley Farms uh, plant in Marshall, Minnesota. This investigation is ongoing. PSSI has issued a response. They say, quote, PSSI has industry-leading best-in-class procedures to confirm the identities of its employees, including mandatory use of the government's e-verify system for new hires, as well as extensive training, document verification, biometrics, and multiple layers of audits. So they are prepared to fight this. We will see where this battle shakes out. 
On the export news in animal ag, we've got some other alerts. Several plants that had been approved for shipping U.S. products, exporting U.S. products rather, into both China and Canada have had those certifications withdrawn. Specifically, USDA FSIS has taken two processing plants off the list of approved exporters to those two countries. Southern Hens in Moselle, Mississippi, uh, who's using that Southern Hens product, is ineligible for export into Canada, and Golden Valley Industries in Modesto, California, has been declared ineligible to export to China beginning on the 2nd of November. So we are seeing some crackdowns happening there in the global international exporting space. And, well, we heard earlier in the program from Chris Robinson about the headlines being generated by the ongoing grain export agreement between Russia and Ukraine. Well, Ukrainian farmers have been grappling not just with being able to not get their grains to market, they've been grappling with a lack of storage opportunities on the farm. And UN has come up with a solution for that, at least a partial solution to get, get growers through the harvest, and that's utilizing grain bags. Ukraine has said they're missing up to about 15 million tons of grain storage capacity, largely due to the war. And the United Nations FAO, that Food and Agriculture Organization, say they have secured over 30,000 grain bags, which they're going to work with to hopefully store 6 million tons of grains there across, U, uh, across the Ukraine. So far, over 7,500 of these bags have already been distributed and they have gone to 356 different farms. So big news happening over in the international world today. President Biden shook the hand of President Xi first time. They have made a connection since the pandemic started. We'll be talking in future episodes about what this could mean for the relationship long-term, one of America's largest ag customers. Thanks for listening to AOA, folks. Tune in tomorrow. We'll talk freight and we'll talk markets right here on AOA. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils. Oils that run smart. We all know clean fields lead to strong yields. That's why ExtendFlex soybeans offer triple tolerance to dicamba, glyphosate, and glufosinate to control more weed species than any other soybean system. Even tough weeds like water hemp, palmer amaranth, and mare's tail. Get the control, flexibility, and proven performance you need so you can focus on the business at hand instead of beating back weeds. Explore the Roundup Ready Extend crop system at systemofchoice.com. Claim based on approved EPA herbicide labels as of January 2021. Read and follow pesticide label directions, grain marketing, and other stewardship practices. I think farming picked me. I didn't pick farming. I'm not afraid to try something new. It's my farm, my family, and our future. My channel Seedsman gets that. I get access to innovative products with personalized advice backed by data to maximize my yield potential. With channel, I know I'll prosper for years to come. Define your future at channel.com slash future. Read and follow pesticide label directions, IRM, grain marketing, and other stewardship practices. Copyright 2022 Bayer Group. All rights reserved.